In my life, I have never been more politically engaged than I was over the last year. And from what I understand, I was not alone. Uh, records were obliterated among cable news viewership, podcast downloads, articles read. It was virtually impossible to get through a day since last January without hearing a political ad, being confronted with a political issue, or being forced to consider your own political viewpoint. Politics touched everything, including most front yards in my neighborhood. Whether we wear a mask to the store during a pandemic became political. Tune into a sport, you're just trying to chill out, and you can't avoid forming an opinion about whether those who kneel during the national anthem are being thankless or courageous. We can't comment on the weather and the clear science that states it is getting warmer, fires are worse, hurricanes are more, the season lasts longer. We can't even go there without coming off as political. We can't all watch a police officer keep his knee on a guy's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds and just all agree that what we saw was what happened and that that was too much. Just me naming this stuff gets me in trouble with some of you who are Christian friends because you don't want me to be political. Rest assured, I will never use this sacred moment we call a sermon to try to persuade you of any partisan opinions. It is my call, though, <clears throat> to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ into the world that is. And our world is, especially this week and this past year, political, saturated with politics. You know, not long ago, in the grand scheme of things anyway, the world used to be saturated with moral choices instead of political choices. The question was, and maybe I'm just, you know, naive and remember things in rose-colored glasses, but it seemed like not that long ago the question was, am I or are we living our values? Not am I or are we remaining faithful to a political party? In our current world, values take a backseat to politics. We're willing to make different moral choices, twist our own values, even ignore our own interests, all so that we remain faithful to one side or the other as defined by those sides. We aren't allowed to just everybody agree on something, anything. Whether what we saw at our nation's capital 11 days ago was actually what we saw has become a question. To say you saw what you saw has become a political statement. To say the election was free and fair, even though it was attested to by every state, to state that fact has become a political statement. So our question is, how do Christians like us, united in the faith of Jesus, at least that's what we say, how do we hold on to our unity amidst all these worldly forces that try every day to tear us apart and make enemies of each other based on something else. Today's gospel grounds the unity that comes from discipleship, from following Jesus. It grounds our unity in seeing together. It's not that we all have to see the exact same thing even, it's that we all, all who follow Jesus, can remain united 
in looking, seeing, which then brings us to believing, which brings us to each other and then to all people, which is what truly brings us to God. Seeing God's truth, born into our crazy broken world, seeing Jesus is what unites us because it changes us. I'm going to try to explain this more fully. All of us crave to be understood, to be seen, to be known. It reminds me of a sad, haunting song sung by Gary Jules for a movie in 2001. Donnie Darko was the movie. I actually never saw the movie. I've only heard the song. But the song is called Mad World. This verse you're about to hear is about being a kid and how it felt to be in a new place. Let's see if I can find the verse. Ooh, yeah, here it is. Have you ever had someone look right through you like you didn't exist? Nobody wants to be invisible. No one wants to be unseen. When I was on internship 20 years ago in Greenville, South Carolina, a volunteer at an area food shelf led an educational effort as he tried to heighten the community's awareness of the homeless. He could state the fact that there are this many hundred homeless people in Greenville, for example, but numbers are easy to dismiss, right? Seeing is believing. So that was this volunteer's mission. He wanted you to see the homeless, where they lived. And I'll never forget the experience. For me, to get from my apartment to the downtown area, I drove through pretty nice neighborhoods. Some of them are really nice, actually. When I got in this volunteer's car, I asked him, so how far do we have to go? I was assuming we were in for a drive. He said, oh, we could walk there. But I found some of the people that we're about to see, they're not comfortable with us walking by and asking questions, so we just drive. And I racked my brain about where we could be going. It turns out just one extra turn and maybe halfway down another block from the well-worn path I often took, and there we were. A huge outcropping of something like bamboo shoots. It was like a little jungle in the city, and within the foliage were dozens of people. Young, old, children, people, just living in these weeds. I saw them, and I couldn't look right through them. We look right through too many people, too many things we don't want to see. I recently heard an interview with Mike Smith, the co-founder of the AIDS Quilt. Those of us who are old enough remember the power of the AIDS Quilt. Right before it was first displayed in 1987, organizers had been trying to get the word out through newspapers, all kinds of articles and interviews. Smith said, we told people, if you... If you get us a panel by September 15th, we will get it into the event on the mall a month later. 
And he said, on the three days around September 15th, we had 800 pieces of overnight mail from every state. And they weren't from the gay men in the urban cores. They were from mothers. And the Radiolab interviewer, Tracy Hunt, went on to say, it was all these like Midwestern ladies whose sons died of AIDS and they had no one to talk about it with. They couldn't really talk about it with their families, which is when you hear this Mike Smith chime back in saying, yeah, they couldn't even tell their church group what their son had died of. First of all, how much, how isolated and desolate do you have to be to create a beautiful, loving, fabric memorial for your son, then box it up and send it to a bunch of gay men you don't know 3,000 miles away? We tapped into this nationwide sense of grief, Smith said. I'd say. I'd say these moms, they wanted their boys seen. Too often we all look right through people, right through suffering, right through inconvenient truths. But Jesus sees. Jesus doesn't look right through anybody. Jesus sees the white supremacist proud boy storming the Capitol. Jesus sees the Capitol police officer outmanned and outgunned. Jesus sees our privilege and our willingness to understand it more, our willingness to use it for the sake of others. Jesus sees our loneliness, our grief, our suffering, our anger. The story of Jesus means many things, of course, but at its core, Jesus being born among us to a human mother is meant to tell us that God does not look right through any of us. God sees us. Jesus found Philip and said, follow me. And then Philip found Nathanael and said, we found him, about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming, Jesus says, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael asked, where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. What was Nathanael doing under that fig tree that made Jesus think that would help Nathanael feel seen, feel known? Was Nathanael praying? Was he helping a kid with their homework? Was he singing? I'd love to know how seeing him under the fig tree seemed to open Nathaniel up to who this Jesus really is. But no matter what Nathaniel was up to under that fig tree, hearing that Jesus saw him ignited something within Nathaniel. Rabbi, you're the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Seen, Nathaniel gains sight. He sees that Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. His eyes are opened, and that sight will guide the rest of Nathaniel's days on this earth. Of course, he ain't seen nothing yet, Jesus tells him. Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than these. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is called, ready for it? Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, 
Son of God, and Rabbi, and Messiah, and Him about whom Moses and the Law and the Prophets also wrote. A little clunkier title. We just heard that one. Son of Joseph from Nazareth, King of Israel, Son of Man. It seems like each person who encounters Jesus has a different title for who they think he is. In Jesus, there is much to see. But the disciples and John the Baptist and Mary and Martha and all the others who come to follow Jesus, including you and me, we are not united in what we already see. We think Jesus meets our expectations, and our expectations are many and varied. Philip was looking for the one whom Moses and the prophets wrote about. Nathaniel was looking for a rabbi, the Son of God, the King of Israel. And they each saw what they each were looking for. But what united Philip and Nathaniel and what unites us is not seeing what we were already expecting. Because we each expect something a little different. What unites us is seeing from that point forward what Jesus would have us see. What unites us is seeing Jesus in such a way that moves us to believe that God sees us. We're united in believing that God doesn't just care. God cares about me, about you, about us, and about them. Whoever them is. Seeing Jesus means we don't look right through God. We see that God is love, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love for all the world. And once we see God, believing that God sees all the world, we can then live beyond politics. We Jesus seers can live beyond nationalism, racism, classism, privilege, grievance, hate, wealth. We can live beyond all that worldly garbage seen, made able to see, we can live into generous lives, kind lives, peace-filled, joy-filled, hope-filled lives. Last week, seven of us were trained to start a conversation among our church. We want to put some meat on our all our welcome statement by becoming a Reconciling in Christ congregation. Now, there's a lot to unpack and explain with that phrase, reconciling in Christ's congregation. And we will. We will unpack and explain all that stuff as the weeks and months and probably years go by. We're in no big hurry. But I mention this effort because building an inclusive church is the work of those who are united beyond politics, beyond tribalism, beyond racism or any other ism. Building an inclusive church is going to call on our belief that God sees us and so calls us to see the LGBTQIA community, people of color, those descended from Native nations, those who are differently abled. Our church knows that we are seen. We don't want to continue looking right through anybody else. In the name of Jesus, we want to see all God's people because we believe they're beautiful, all of them, knowing them will take us beyond our expectations, beyond our labels for God, beyond our categories for how God works. It's just like Jesus said to Nathaniel, oh, you're going to see greater things than these, and we will. Thanks be to God.
Amen.